time for Fry's English Delight. And Stephen Fry is going to sit right down and write himself a very particular letter. Thank you. The letter I'm going to write myself is the 24th in the English language and by far the most interesting, as you'll hear. It's the kind of symbol which is very easy to make but which you can't easily make by accident. The most graphic mark you can make. You know, if you can't make a signature, what do you do? Descartes, in his naming of the unknown, probably bequeathed to generations of schoolchildren an association of this letter with being stuck. Is Xerox allowed as a word? Because it's now a common word, but like Hoover is used as a verb. So therefore, you should, the moment it becomes a verb like Hoover, one imagines one can use it. So Intriguingly, Xerox, I believe, is allowed now. Um, Xerotic, actually, is having sex on top of a photocopying machine. <laughs> no, it is. It genuinely is. Yes, sex with an X. Now I'm going to ask you to turn it onto one side. Keep very still, please. My favourite word in the English language is a word that contains the letter X. It's the best grammar word you can imagine. It's yex. Y-E-X. Yex really delivers. Remind us what the definition of a yex is. It's one of these, isn't it? I'm gonna stand right down. And of course, X, 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 as in a text or letter. Kisses on the bottom. Not only will you be glad you got them, as Mr. Fat Wallace sang, you'll know why you got them and what the mathematician and philosopher René Descartes had to do with it. I'm gonna write words oh so sweet They're gonna knock me off my feet A lot of kisses on the bottom I'll be glad I got them A kiss. A cross, a mark, a sign. X denotes some very specific ideas, and yet paradoxically also stands for the unknown and the forbidden. Let us start with the ancient Greek origins of X, and as Andrew Laird, Professor of Classical Literature at Warwick University, explains, Greek has two X-y letters. There's the Greek Xi, pronounced like our eggs, but looking nothing like it. But there is another Greek letter, the Chi, which is something like the CH in lock. And that is represented by something like an X, but the, the tails below are longer. And the Ch sound um, has come into some words in modern languages because the ch, the chai, which looks a bit like an x, was the first letter of Christ's name. So when people are signing Xmas cards or wishing each other a Merry Xmas, it's not as heathen as people think because the x is in fact the Greek equivalent of the ch in Christ's name and was uh, very frequently used as an abbreviation for Christ or for Christians. And so the Roman Catholic symbol IX means in Christu. So the Greek letter that looks like an X or cross but is pronounced like a H gets a symbolic meaning as it moves from Greek to Latin. That letter Chi, as in caritas and character, also gives us, from its shape and name, chiasmus, that elegant rhetorical trope where one thought is crossed or balanced by another. JFK did it as well as anyone. My fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. <laughs> 
But the written Greek letter that's pronounced like our X, i.e. X, is a rather wiggly, curvaceous creature, not at all crossy-looking. And that's probably the reason that letter form doesn't make it into the Latin family of languages and into English, whereas the visually clearer cross-shaped chi does. Greek writing was often on papyri, so you could have a curlier effect. It's much easier to do curves. And I think the Etruscan and Latin alphabet favoured a symbol like the X rather than the curly Greek sign for the same sound because they would carve their letters on wood, on stone, in inscriptions. When you're carving, you just want simple straight lines. So, here's X, adapting from the Greek to the Roman and accumulating meanings like bilio, or Billy X, I suppose. X was used as a numeral, too. Most people think that Roman numerals evolved out of a simple notation from carving on tally sticks. Strokes for one, two, three, and four. Five, represented with a V, because uh, that looks something like uh, the angle of a thumb against the fingers on an open hand when you're holding up five fingers. And you get what we call an X for ten, because five represented by a, a V, if you put it on top of an inverted V to make two fives, that gives you an X, which is the symbol for ten. So in Latin writing, X could represent uh, two fundamental things, the number ten and our own letter X. In order to distinguish the two, in inscriptions you find a horizontal bar over an X to show it's a number. And X acquired another meaning on inscriptions found in Britain on the Vindolanda tablets, that you have an X with a line through it, a horizontal line cutting the X in half to represent a currency value. And this would appear before a particular number, just like a, a euro or a pound sign does today. And an X with a line through it was the Roman currency unit of the denarius. It means Christ, it means ten, it means money. But the image of the illiterate English medieval pauper scrawling an X on the bottom of a document in lieu of a signature is probably a bit misleading. Stephen Mason is a barrister and expert on execution of documents, which is jargon for signing. There was a time when a personal signature was not accepted as a lawful mark of authentication on a document unless the person signing the document was a Jew. If you were a Christian, uh, you were required to sign with a cross. And this was at a time when there was no literacy, not even for kings. They did not read or write. We're talking about before the 13th century. The concept of the signature was really something which was alien. The notion of the X or cross at the bottom of a document as signature is related to the divinity of monarchs rather than their illiteracy. So, for instance, when a king gave a charter to a town, they would actually sign it with the cross. And I have an example here, which, of course, listeners can't see, um, of a document which was attested in 1068, dealing with the property of Bury's St Mary in Suffolk and being passed to St Stephen's Abbey in Carn. And here on this document are four crosses each with the name of the king or queen and other people attesting to the document underneath it. When it comes to wills, at one time a will was not written down. It would be verbal. 
Then there came a time in the 14th or 15th century when it became normal for wills to be written. And then, of course, there was a need for you to sign that will. And if you were uh, illiterate, you still didn't obviously sign with your manuscript signature. You would either use uh, the imprint of a seal or you would put an X on the bit of paper. Then there would be witnesses. The purpose of the witnesses to a will is to say, we saw this person write the X on the document. That's important. And X still can be used to execute a document, and barrister Stephen Mason still uses it. I do uh, sign my signature as an X on occasion. In the modern world, when somebody brings the post to you and you're required to sign um, on a handheld electronic device or when a delivery of uh, goods is made to you, invariably they ask you to sign with uh, a special pen onto the pad. And I always put a squiggle or an X. And that is an electronic signature and it is as acceptable as you writing your full signature on the handheld device. You, in theory, could sign a cheque with an X, but unless the bank has got that particular X on their files as one of your signatures, they are bound to reject it. And let us, as we continue examining the X-Files in chronological order, hurry along to the 17th century, and the man who gave X, little X, I hasten to add, its air of mystery, mathematician and philosopher René Descartes. What Descartes bequeathed to us was the notion of X standing for a problem to be solved, X as something that you don't yet know the answer to, but that you're dying to find out. Culver Rooney Dougal is senior lecturer in pure mathematics at the University of St Andrews. So, Descartes and X. Descartes is writing an appendix on geometry to a book on methods of reasoning within the sciences. And he says right at the very beginning that he's going to use symbols from the end of the alphabet. And he initially at first lists them backwards, Z, Y, X, for unknown numbers when he's trying to describe physical situations. So he just states that that's what he's going to do. And since he might be trying to describe classes of physical situations, he's going to use numbers A, B and C from the beginning of the alphabet to mean numbers that you can take as being given. So maybe he's not going to say the number now, but in any particular situation, you would know what number that was. So he states that he's going to start with Z, then Y, then X. In practice, X is the number that he uses. And this book that he wrote on geometry was so important that then it spread across the whole of Western Europe. And he really is responsible for the fact that X is the letter we associate with algebra today. So X now for any mathematician means here is a puzzle to solve. But why X? Y and Z were also candidates for being the brand name for the unknown, but X, simply by usage, monopolised that function. Otherwise, we'd have 4Y lager and Z rays. The answer, according to one biographer, is that Descartes' printer had more X's in his studio than other letters. So he said, look, René, can we just let X equal the unknown and save me a bit of grief? 
Yeah, I mean, this story about the printer is not properly sourced, so it's a beautiful story. It may be slightly apocryphal. What is true is that the frequency of the letters X, Y, and Z in the French language, which is what Descartes was writing in, they're the three least used letters, but the least used of all is Z, followed by Y, followed by X. So the printer would have had about three times as many Xs as Zs available to him. So it's plausible that there's some truth in that, and it is a lovely idea that X came out because of frequency. On the subject of frequency, Mr Giles Brandreth and I will now inform you of the frequency with which words beginning with X appear in Dr Samuel Johnson's Great Dictionary of 1755. Dr Johnson, in his famous dictionary, doesn't include any words beginning with the letter X, and yet he might have done, because you could argue... Xantippe, the, of wife, of the wife of Socrates, Socrates, was a shrewish woman, and yeah. people used the phrase that somebody was Xantippic, yes. meaning that they were of a shrewish disposition. Yes. And so arguably he could just have put that in, but he didn't. Knowing that Giles would, with his rather fetching Scrabble hat on, be somewhat combative on the subject, I took to our meeting the X page from official Scrabble words. Is Zebek there? Um, Zenek. Zebek. Oh, X-E-B-E-C. X E B E C. Indeed, it is, and it's plural. Yes, yes, and yes. it's plural. It's so useful, isn't it? Gosh, the plural is. Now, uh, does that mean I can have size? No, I can't. I can no. have xi, but I can't have size. More than one size. It's very frustrating. Mm. Of course, what's interesting about the letter X? People sometimes wonder why has it only got eight, a score of eight in Scrabble, mm. when in fact it seems to be such an unusual. Ah, it's, uh, it's because it is so much more. Excite, ex, it, ex, it, it appears in many other yes, words. Indeed. I love the fact that the word X is allowed simply as a X. X. The American spelling, as you might. When I played yeah. as a child, it had to be A-X-E because we just played with the Oxford English Dictionary. Yes. But now when almost anything goes, Ax, the Americanized spelling, A-X, that's allowed. Links and onyx are nice as well. Yes, they're good. The joy of X is actually using it and understanding it. And it is simply a matter of science to see it as a letter and not to know what it means. So for me, exactly. unless you do know what it means, there is no point at all. If I played X-Ray, would I, would, I be, um, would I be challenged? Does it have to have a hyphen? You'd be challenged and you'd be humiliated. Oh, dear. Because a hyphen is very much part of the right. word X-Ray. You can't get away with that. You'll have to forgive the slight yeks in our chronology, Scrabble being invented in 1938, but Giles has helped gently deposit us back on track to November 1895, when a scientist called Wilhelm Röntgen decided on X as a name for his extraordinary discovery. Dr Adrian Thomas is consultant radiologist at the Princess Royal University Hospital, Kent, and an X-ray expert. Wilhelm Conrad Röntgen was passing currents across an evacuated bulb. This bulb is like an ordinary piece of glass, like a light bulb, with two electrodes passing currents across it. He had it covered with a paper card so no light could come out. And he observed really two things. Firstly, he showed that a fluorescent screen at a distance lit up, which he couldn't explain because there was no light coming across to make the fluorescent screen light up. And what he also showed was the photographic effect. So he got his wife, Bertha. This is in Würzburg. He was actually living just above the, his laboratory. He went down, got his wife down, put a hand on a glass photographic plate, exposed it to this evacuated bulb and showed her hand with a ring. And that was the famous hand with ring or the skeleton showing. 
this was all completely unexpected. He had no idea what was actually going on. And therefore, this is why he used the term X. X basically means X the unknown quantity, X I don't know what it is. And there's a famous story told of a chap called Dam. And Dam was a American a journalist who went and interviewed Wilhelm Röntgen after the discovery and said, what did you think it was? And he just said, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And then he said, what did you think? And the famous line is, I did not think I investigated. And then from that, it said he called, he called them X-rays. In America, they called them Röntgen rays after him. But what's normally accepted now is X-rays, X being the unknown quantity. So Röntgen is following, somewhat blindly, in Descartes' footsteps with an X, an unknown that needs to be scrutinised. The trouble was, people could see malign uses for this extraordinary new X-rated technology before they understood how it might work for good. There was a lot of concern at that time that people who were badly motivated could get an X-ray machine or an X-ray tube and actually look under people's clothing. In New York, it was banned to have X-rays and opera glasses. The idea was that you'd have ladies dancing on a stage. Some would come along with an X-ray machine and actually obviously see these young ladies dancing with less on than they, than, than they, actually, they actually had on. There were adverts certainly for X-ray proof underclothing. There's a very nice cartoon I've seen in the graphic from about from the late 1890s, a woman wearing a metal dress, the idea being that people might actually look underneath her dress and see her in her underwear. There's a nice picture saying, a serious doctor who knows that beauty is more than skin deep, admiring a woman with a particularly fine skeleton. The spookiness as well. Um, there's a famous one on Life magazine of a, an old farmer standing there holding a scythe. X-rays turns him into the Grim Reaper. But there was foresight as well as fear. Two years after X-ray machines were invented in 1895, they were in use in Paris railway stations to check baggage against terrorist devices. And it's Röntgen who accidentally adds a meaning to X. He takes Descartes' innocent variable and accidentally adds it to the taboos of fear, sex and death. This, I suppose, reached its peak in a film called The Man with the X-Ray Eyes, which came out, I think, in 1963, starring Ray Milan. And this was a doctor, Dr. Xavier, Dr. X, Xavier X. He found this liquid which he put into his eyes, which he could see things. The Man with the X-Ray Eyes tries to help the most desperate in our society and enjoys all the delights of secretly studying sexology. Headache? No, it's just my eyes. And, of course, The Man with the X-Ray Eyes was an ex-film, according to the British Board of Film Censorship. In 1951, that body, now the British Board of Film Classification, used X as the new adults-only rating, which arguably increased their allure. I'm joined by the film critic Mark Kermode. Mark, why should I see this film on DVD, The Man with the X-Ray Eyes? Because, like all great exploitation movies that have stood the test of time, it has, at its core, one central idea. And no matter how you know, fast it was made, no matter how cheaply it was made, no matter how apparently shoddily it was made to some people, that idea works. And the idea is somebody wants to see everything... And they discover that actually when you see everything, what you really want to do is close your eyes. I mean, it has this central character, Raymond Land, who discovers a drug that makes eyes see through paper, see through walls, immediately see through clothes. So one of the very first things he does is he goes to a party where everyone's twisting. A doctor with the power to see what others cannot believe. 
can overcome the unknown, save lives, and invade the glamour gambling casinos of Las Vegas and defy the goddess of chance. As he carries on taking the drug, as is the man with these stories, he sees more and more. So originally he can see inside bodies, he can do heart surgery, but then he can't stop seeing through things. And it ends up with this fantastic sequence when he's in a church and he's completely deranged by his ability to see things. And he talks about seeing through the abyss of everything until at the centre of the universe is the all-seeing eye. And it's the, it becomes, as so many of these exploitation movies, this great existentialist tract about yes. actually the need to not see everything. There's a very famous story about, and I don't want to spoil this for anyone who, who hasn't seen it, but I, I imagine it's kind of it's part of popular mythology now. At the very, very end of the film, when he, he's in the church and he's told, you know, if thine eye offends thee, pluck it out. As the film ends at the moment, we see that he blinds himself. There is a very famous story that, in fact, they shot an extended version of that sequence when he says, I can still see! And that's where, which, which actually you think would be even more powerful, a fantastic finale. Yes. And it, the idea that he can't sleep because he can see through his eyelids, he can't see beauty in the woman that he loved anymore because all he can see is her insides. I mean, it's it's really dark and twisted and strange, and there are some nice visual effects in it. I think a brilliant central performance by, by Raymond Land. But it is one of those Roger Corman movies that looks like, look, we've got three weeks, we've got a star... We've got a very small amount of money, but we've got a good idea yes. and a good title. And the word exploitation, of course, I think almost self-consciously takes on the extiness of yes. it. And the, let's not forget that the word sex ends in X. So the choice of X, I don't know how it came about that, that we have X-rated movies. Originally, you have U, A and H. These are the official classifications. Um, and H means horror, which means we don't think kids should see this, but it's not written into the absolute into the rubric. When you get the introduction of the X certificate, which was as a result of the Weir Report, the Weir Report said very specifically that um, a single category of films which should include the present H category, horror, from which children should be absolutely excluded, should be introdu introduced, this category might be called X. They should be excluded... Now, interestingly enough, John Trevelyan, who was the great showman of uh, British film censorship, an extraordinary character, constantly seen with a fag in his mouth. We saw his signature on the, on, the, on, on, the, on the card that would come up. And he wrote a brilliant memoir called What the Censor Saw. On the front cover of it, it has an X, which is two pieces of celluloid making an X. I mean, this is a standard thing if you're writing a book about censorship. This is another book here called Censors, Censored, in which we have the scissors in the shape of an X. He said, with great astuteness, he said, the introduction of the new category of films restricted to adult audiences was recommended, blah, 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 blah. And then he says that there were two important mistakes were made. The minimum age for the admission should have been 18, not 16. It was later corrected. And X should not have been chosen, should not have been chosen in view of its value in exploitation advertising. So what Trevelyan said was he knew, essentially, look, the X certificate is great. It should be 18, not 16, because it was up to 18 in the 1970s. But you know what? The exploitation industry will leap upon the fact that X means excluded, X means explicit, X means extreme, and X means... Yes, exclusive and, even, and desirable. Exactly, and, you know, ecstatic, although obviously spelt wrong, but all those sounds. <laughs> yeah. So consequently, you get films like the Quatermass Experiment, 
passed as an X film with a great big X on it. X, the man with the X-ray eyes, passed as an X film. Now, both of these films are now PG. They can be seen by absolutely anybody. But back then, the idea of the X rating was it was exclusive, it was extreme, it was adult, and people wanted to play upon that. And so the, the exploitation industry just went, great, we love the sound of this, it's fantastic. Mark Kermode. Now, of course, X exercises its magic power in brand names, from heat-proof ovenware to contraceptive devices. Do I prefer brand X or brand Y? Personally, I prefer a nice balloon of brand Y. Rosie Arnold, partner at ad agency BBH, is behind the UK advertising of the popular male fragrance Lynx, or, for those of you listening in American English, Axe. Both share the X factor. Actually, this is the moment I've been dreading. I've been waiting for one day somebody to come and say, hang on a minute, it's a woman behind the Lynx effect. Yep, that's me. Um, I think we do it with enough playful fun, but it's all around, if you smell nice, you're more likely to attract somebody from the opposite sex. Yes, sex with an X. I think the reason that both Axe and Lynx have an X in it is because it is a kind of male brand, and there's something quite graphic about an X in your brand name and there's something quite powerful and physical about an X. In the context of Axe or Lynx it feels quite masculine and muscular. Two big strong strokes but also it's a very beautiful graphic letter. I particularly like it as a, as a typographer. You think there's a, some beautifully balanced expressions of it in type and it's got this mystery attached to it. So there's something about aliens, you know, there's a sort of X factor, there's, there's something mysterious, it's that hidden, hidden ingredient, the X factor where you don't really know what they've got but it's something special and I think that's added to products so you think there's something a little bit special, a little bit secret in it. So I think it's got that, that quality to it that makes you feel it's beyond your knowledge. So, mystery and sex. A long journey in this homage to a single letter from holiness and royalty. And let's not forget science, the idea that X can and does mean something really specific, as in X marks the spot. Mathematician Colveroni Dougal. Descartes is the person who invented coordinates in his geometry book so when you're talking about a place on a map you might give latitude and longitude you'd give a pair of two numbers Descartes was lying in bed which he liked to do in his room watching a fly fly around the room and realized that he could describe the position of the fly in the room by giving just three numbers one for how far it was from the floor one for how far it was from one of the walls, and the third for how far it was from the third wall. And so he was able to turn geometry into algebra. And to do that, he needed three numbers. And so he needed three variables. And so X, Y, and Z became the key. And once you're using X, Y, and Z all the time, then you naturally, if you just want one, start to use X, because it's the first of the three. In the case of the fly, because it's moving around in the whole space of a room, you probably need X, Y and Z to mark the spot. But if you could imagine just putting a cross for where the fly was going to be, then, then the using of a cross to mark where something's happened um, is a probably far older tradition again, because that's kind of crosshairs narrowing down on an exact place. So you can think of X marks the spot as just a very, very precise way of singling where something's happened. I'm going to rain so 
my mother always told me that uh, the reason we put X's for kisses at the end of letters is that you kiss the letter and then you put an X to mark the spot where you've kissed it so that the person you send it to can kiss the same place. I've got no idea whether that's historically true, but it's a family tradition. You're using the fact that the crossed lines are singling out a point very, very precisely from a big distance away. A satisfyingly mathematical interpretation of kisses on the bottom, with which I leave you. And you might like to know that you can find out more clips from the series on the programme's pages of the Radio 4 website. Fry's English Delight was produced by Nick Baker. It's a testbed production for BBC Radio 4.